Hello, it's Jeff. Just before we get to the show, just a friendly reminder to hit follow or subscribe on your podcast app so it's downloaded and ready to go. Come on, let's go to the Blue Hotel. It's Jeff Woods, pleased to bring you episode 18 this time, in which we do three things. One, talk to a special guest who's a fireball of enthusiasm and sex positivity. Two, we're going to share one of her inspired short stories about a woman who finds herself in the heat of the moment with two men, one she barely knows, one she makes very proud. And then we'll finish with one of mine. Welcome to the Blue Hotel Podcast about relationships and mental health and sexuality with a focus on education and pleasure, inclusive and shame-free. And if you like what you hear, please tell your friends about it. Now, let's meet our expert guest. Every one of us has long been aware of the importance of physical health, right? And increasingly, we've become more aware of the importance of mental health. And the Blue Hotel podcast shares with our special guest this time the importance of sexual health and education and ultimately pleasure. And so I welcome an accomplished sex and intimacy coach who is distinctly well positioned as a certified sex coach. She has a background in psychology. All that to say, to get to the sizzle of this session, which is one of her biggest talking points of late, how to speak pussy. Welcome to the Blue Hotel, Serena Haynes. Hi, Serena. Hello, Jeff. Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm so glad you're here. I love that. I love that. How to speak pussy. It's my favorite. Everyone's like, what do you mean? <laughs> well, you know, this is the thing. You know, we talk a lot. We're, we live in such a cock-centric world, you know? Everything is all about the penis and, you know, everybody wants to learn how to, you know, please your man and do your thing. And then all of a sudden, we're sitting... And I personally, with the majority of my clients are men, believe it or not. And they come in and they go, I know there's more to this. I know I'm missing something. What am I missing? And then we come to realize that, you know, nobody ever was taught how to speak pussy. We were really just taught how to suck dick. So it, it just doesn't work, you know, and we're, we're sitting here blaming our partners, right? Oh, he doesn't know how to touch me. And, you know, she's faking it all the time. And we've got this like back and forth and this this, this just always with one another. And we I have to tell people, you know, it's not you versus me. It's not man versus woman. It's really like us versus the system. And, you know, that education that kind of came down through. So learning how to speak pussy is basically just learning how to slow down, learning all of the different points and the pleasure points in a woman's body, understanding that, you know, the more that you can give that pleasure, the more that she's going to want to open up and really you know, you really want pussy to get juicy. Pussy will invite you in. She will invite you in when it's time. Like, trust me. I always, I also try to, I leave out the word penetration a lot. We try to leave the word penetration out. We invite the word invitation in, you know, like who's going to let you in? Who's going to, who are you going to let in? What are you going to do to, you know, get really juicy and get really open? So there's so much here to talk about. I thought about talking about something like, what happened? Why? You know, and, and I went to magazines, women's targeted magazines, mm -hmm. who did talk about, to your point, pleasing your man. But we're way beyond that now, thankfully. I mean, mm -hmm. most of us, I mean, you and, and us <laughs> in this space that we call um, sex and pleasure. 
Um, so let's not even talk about that. Let's talk about this, though. Couples, you'd assume that couples who have been together for a while have figured this stuff out about talking pussy, about knowing, about having had those conversations. But that's not necessarily true, is it? You, no. you could be together six, eight, 12 months, five years, and not really delved into what you're talking about. Talk to yeah. that. Yeah, longer than that, longer than that. We've got couples, I've got couples who are 25 years together, 30 years together in their 60s coming into me and saying, okay, I have no idea what my pussy looks like. So not even him saying, I don't know how to please the pussy, but her saying, I've never even looked at my pussy. I don't even know what it is, right? So this is it. The, the communication behind it, the younger generation that are coming up behind us are talking a lot more about it, which is fantastic. And we love that. And that's the whole point, right? And then we've got you know, our generations, our, our age group, like 35 plus, who are really just lost, like nobody's really kind of talking about what's going on. The women are slamming vibrators on their clits all day long, which there's nothing wrong with, but we'll get into that in a little bit. But that's not helping us with the communication and the, you know, the juiciness with our partners, you know, like your partner's not going to vibrate, ladies. This is the problem that I see a lot of, of people having. So, you know, enjoying exploration with your partner is really cool. We go into sex, right? And everybody wants to like, turn the lights off and close your eyes and do all the things and moan all the ways and get in all the positions and do all the porn stuff and perform, perform, perform. But what happens when you actually slow that down? It becomes much more vulnerable. When it comes to touching a pussy, it's just not slam, bang, and smash. You can't do it. You, you, you know, we can. We can do it. We can do it and have fun because believe me, there's a place for that. So like that's not what I'm saying at all. Like we can all enjoy that in, in a certain way as well. But if you really want to get down to the nitty gritty of it, you know, pussy really needs a, some time. We're, all, we're kind of also told that we need a lot of time. Like women need a lot of time to warm up. And that's not necessarily the case if the environment is conducive to us wanting to relax and open up into it, you know? So the kissing, the touching, the nipple play, the, you know, all of these things that we tend to, when we're together for a long time, we don't really talk about. We just go do the things that we know how to do, right? So if I'm with a man, a man is really quite used to touching himself, getting erect almost immediately, being able to kind of jerk himself off in five or 10 minutes if 10 minutes is like the case, and knowing exactly what needs to happen. So then they come at our bodies the same way, thinking that it's going to happen that way. And we think we're supposed to work that way too. So then we think we're broken if it doesn't work that way and we start faking it. And that is just the worst thing that we can do. Anybody out there is listening, listen to me. Your partner, <laughs> I, I always say men, but you know, any partner you're with, they're like this beautiful little puppy dog and they just want to do everything to please you, just like you want to do everything to please your partner. But if you teach them how to do a fancy trick that you don't like, they're going to do it again because they're going to want you to smile and be like, oh yeah, baby, that's it. So if you teach them how to touch your left thigh instead of your clitoris, they're going to keep touching your left thigh and now that's on you. That's on you. You taught that puppy that trick. So we've got to start being honest with ourselves, right? We we as women need to start being honest with ourselves that we need to look at our pussy. We need to touch it. We need to find our clitoris. We need to get educated on what that actually looks like and feels like. It's not just that little tiny nub, you know, that little tiny part on the, the top that we think is the pearl, the go-to is really a very large 
wishbone shaped, you know, we've got five erectile beds in there. It goes on the inside of us, wraps around our vaginal canal. So many beautiful things are happening in there if we can really take time and enjoy and explore that. So I always say to couples who are with each other for a really long time, take the time to sit and go on a pleasure hunt. So I want you to lie down. This is so vulnerable for a lot of people. Lie down, maybe even put a blindfold on if you have to, both partners, and have your partner go down on your vulva and find the little places that you know you really like touching and that they really like touching and really explore that area so that you guys can kind of get to a place where the pleasure is matching. And everybody's a little bit different. So it's so of important course. to to do that investigation, that exploration, because mm. what worked with a previous partner may not work exactly. with your current partner. Right? Exactly. Sabrina Baldini has been on this show, and Sabrina has talked about even the kids she speaks to as a sex educator in schools, especially the boys. I want to know. I want, just tell me. I want to please you. I'm, you know, we're talking teenage boys. We're talking right. age of consent. I, yeah. I really want to know what to do. And, and, and a lot of men maybe aren't great at saying, tell me more. Exactly. Because, you know, the masculinity has been taught to us. We're supposed to know. You're supposed to know. And I think, isn't that just such a, isn't that just such a kick in the teeth that you're just supposed to know? But where did you guys learn your sex ed? Mostly through porn, through your buddies, through all of the things that do not actually speak pussy, right? And now all of a sudden the women are going, no, the men are supposed to lead, which is not necessarily always the case, but some of us want our men to lead and that's okay too, but you've never been taught. Nobody took the time to teach you. Nobody took the time to say, it's okay that you don't even know what a vulva looks like. These women don't know what their vulvas look like. How are we supposed to expect the men to know, right? We need to sit down and take that mirror. So I said, I actually have a, a group. I, I've created a, a workshop called Vulva Revolution. I get women together, vulva owners together. We sit down, we do breast massage, heart opening massages. We look at our pussies. We go through the different anatomical features of our pussies. Then we go on a pleasure hunt and I get the women to kind of touch themselves in different ways. Not inherently sexual. It is not inherently orgasmic. It's more just pleasure hunting and find those parts on your body and then name it. What does it feel like to you, right? What does it feel like when you touch, you know, your left labia? What does it feel like when you touch the opening of your vagina? That way you can have the language, that those words to say to your partner, you know, when you do this on this side of me, it really gives me a tickly feeling, but that tickly feeling relaxes me and I like that, you know? Or I like that you're taking your time to not touch my clitoris right away because I touched it in my workshop the other day and it was too sensitive and I didn't like that. But I really love when you do circles around it. I did circles and it felt really, really great. And it just helps women have this really closed space where they're supported by sisters. They're supported in a non-sexual way to kind of have that exploration of their own bodies and their own pleasure and then find the language to go home and tell their partners regardless of what, who that partner is. You know, and it, it honestly... Those, those are oh, those workshops are my absolute favorite. They give me the most satisfaction and joy to see these women come in so close down, terrified, and then by the end of it, we're all nude. We're sitting around in a circle. Everybody has their own space. Nobody's, you know, nobody is up in each other's grills. It's not like that. You have your own little space, but that that juiciness is just flowing, and these women can't wait to go out into the world and just scream from the rooftops like oh my god i know now what it feels like to touch myself properly i love myself i want you to 
you mentioned screaming and you mentioned porn. And it makes me think about this as it relates to what we're talking about. Um, a lot of porn is the guy being silent, which which yeah. isn't often the case in real life. And it's um, the moaning that may be dubbed in after the fact to make it more uh, enjoyable, according to the director or the, or the post-production people, um, which is also kind of bullshitty. Who right. really wants to see dubbed in porn, uh, uh, dubbed in moaning? And and here's the thing. Sometimes moaning isn't the thing people do to show pleasure. Sometimes it's laughing. And, yes. and that can be off-putting for men if they're not really, you know, if they haven't experienced that before. Mm-hmm. So getting to know your partner is getting to know how you um, react to touch, how you react to orgasm. And, right. and and really finding things out early in the relationship, pleasure hunting. Did you? That sounds like something you would have coined. I love that. Yeah, yeah. It's just my favorite thing to do in the world. We just go pleasure hunting, you know. <laughs> there and, and and it kind of. I mean, think about that. You know, a, a treasure hunt is a fun adventure. You may or may not take the right path. You may or may not create the exact thing that you know you thought you were going to go into, but you're on a treasure hunt. So now we're on a pleasure hunt. So we try something and it doesn't work. We'll giggle about it. Move on. We take it so seriously. You know, we take sex so seriously and it has to be, you know, lights off, do this properly, do it exactly right, be a certain length, be a certain tightness in your pussy, which we'll get to in a, in a, in a minute. And, you know, do all of these things perfect. And if it's not perfect and somebody messes up or there's like a queefing or there's like drool that goes somewhere, oh, oh my God, we should be mortified. No, those are all part of it, you know. And, and to your point of the, you know, making noises and what it should sound like and how sometimes it does sound like, you know, there's a there's a couple of things. The laughing is definitely, especially for women, I think some men I, I have had experiences with will laugh, but a lot of women will giggle because it's a very powerful feeling sometimes when we get to those peak pleasure points, right? So sometimes it's really hard for us to kind of harness that and our laughter is a really great way for that to kind of come through. But I want everybody out there listening, you know, if you watch a woman masturbate in real life, in real time, let's say even without a vibrator, a lot of us go very still and very silent. And I've had to tell my partners that if I go dead fish on you, don't stop what you're doing. Because that means I am so lost in the moment that I'm into it and I'm about to get there. But it can, that can be off-putting. Imagine you're doing something and everyone's like, oh yeah, oh, oh. And, then and she just goes, oh. And holds her breath and just stays still. Now, I don't. I always tell people, you know, breathe through it, move that energy, do that thing. But the reality is, sometimes it gets so powerful, so steady that you're just like, oh my god, this is it! I can't wait. This is going to be it, and I'm so excited. So th- that's the other thing, you know, knowing that about yourself as well. And the only way to know that is to experiment with yourself. The only way to know how to tell your partner is to do it. I always tell people, I really want every woman out there, if at all possible, because of course not everybody's body is the same, but if at all possible to know how to bring yourself to orgasm or orgasmic pleasure as high as you can with your hands, no vibrator, leave the vibrator for, you know, later on, or maybe the cherry on top because your partner doesn't vibrate. 
And to learn how to speak pussy, you want to really move slow. But we are very capable nowadays, think the goddesses and all of the vibration and all of, all of the people who created all of this stuff, that we can smash a vibrator on our clits pretty quickly and like have one off in five minutes and move on with the day. That sounds fantastic, but your partner can't do that for you sometimes. you know. So unless you are going to bring that vibrator in every time, you really need to know how to do it without as well. And without is going to be a much more... I don't want to use the word dragged on. It's going to be a much more, you know, beautiful, long, slow process of building that arousal and building that pleasure and the tension and the teasing and the laughter and, you know, all of the things that come with that desire and arousal can be in and of itself potentially orgasmic. And it doesn't, you don't actually have to go over the edge and go over that 10 to get to all of that pleasure that you want to experience. It's really part of the repertoire, isn't it? Because if you're going to be a long-term couple, and and I'm I'm focused on that right now, and I have no mm-hmm. real, uh, I have no real agenda about that. It could be short-term, it could be, but to really get to know somebody, it's probably not super short-term. So that's why I speak in those terms. You have to explore all the different ways forward so that you can really get to know each other. Mm. I know. really love when people sit and and you know I'll ask people to share their fantasies with their partners, and that's a really vulnerable place to go because, you know, again, we've been told that we're not supposed to be fantasizing about anybody other than your partner ever, but that's not the truth. And your fantasy that happens in your head and the desire to act on that are two completely different things. And, you know, if you're with your partner, sharing what goes on in your head can be really hot. And so you sit and that can be part of foreplay. You can sit, you can talk about a fantasy that you had. You can be like, oh my God, I was thinking about this the other day while I was masturbating or while I was just, you know, whatever, or I've always been curious about. And then you go through that and all of a sudden you feel your body reacting to things and you're like, oh, I don't know, like maybe we could try this out. Maybe we could try that out. Watch mutual masturbation on that point is honestly one of, in in my work and in, in my life is one of the best things that couples can do together. You get to see what your partner does in order to bring themselves to pleasure. You get to kind of get aroused by looking at that. You get to then create a fantasy in your own head about what it actually looks like to be with your partner. I really like it when there's usually one partner that's a little more like a little more nervous about doing something like that, blindfold that partner so they can get completely off into their own little world and have the other partner, you know, just kind of sitting there doing it. Videotape yourselves. I know that that's not, you know, not everybody's into that. And but it can create a, it can create such a memory because guess what we don't all look like porn stars and what we think we look like when we're having sex and what we actually look like when we're having sex are sometimes two completely different things. But isn't that a really fun way to create that memory with your partner and kind of be like, oh my god, I remember this time that we did that thing and it was just so crazy. And but then you might find parts of that that are really hot and exciting. In the episode before this one, Serena, it was uh, the second of two parts called Two Heads Are Better Than One. The, you know, the erotic narration that I wrote that concludes every episode. And in that, it was the first time that we have included in one of these um, cameras in the story. And first mm. it's a handheld. Um, it's, it's four people, four bisexual people, two women, two men. First, it's just a handheld. And then in the second part, it's uh, it's two stationary cameras. Let's go back to fantasy because communication is absolutely everything in and out of the bedroom. Mm-hmm. And it's a place where it's not just 
here, I'm going to tell you my fantasy. You're going to tell me yours. And, and there's going to be no communication or discussion around it. The vulnerability, you said, it's massive mm. when you're sharing uh, fantasy. So you end up having a discussion that goes beyond just here's what turns me on and here's what I'm thinking about or here's what I'm thinking about with and for you. It, be, it becomes a real um, opening up. Uh, of a couple's understanding of one another. Talk more to fantasy because I find it fascinating. Yeah. yeah, that's that's the truth. And and you just said it too. It, it opens up the understanding of the other person. You know, I can have a fantasy about something and you can have a fantasy about something that are that are so completely different. But once I know where your mind goes, once I know where your fantasy goes, then I can try as much as I can possibly do to give you, for lack of a better term, but give you the sexual experiences that really kind of turn you on. Sometimes when we're in long-term relationship, we don't always do that tit for tat. It's not always perfect every single time. Sometimes we give and sometimes we receive. So, you know, knowing what you like, then I'm going to want to try to, you know, help you get there. What does that mean for you? Is it something that we can do? Is it something that we can talk about a little bit more? Do you want to watch some porn? Do you want to do all of these things? Fantasy itself is so very harmless. And I just, you know, I just want everybody to know out there that whatever goes on in your head is is okay. And it, it really is meant to stay in your head and give you some satisfaction. If you want to share it, you can. And there's never a moment where you have to share your deepest, darkest fantasies. But the desire to work, like act on that fantasy is the difference, right? So when you're sitting with a partner, you can share your fantasies. Maybe your partner is not into that. But you know, you want to find a place where both of you can kind of come together and be like, okay, well, what can I do? What can we talk about? How can we create um, an atmosphere or an environment where your fantasy, even your fantasy arousal can come, come true, right? So instead of what is the act that's happening, what are you feeling in that fantasy, right? So I have a fantasy of being with two men. That fantasy doesn't necessarily have to come true in physicality. The feeling that I get when I'm with two men is the idea that I'm being owned, that I'm being protected, that I'm being taken care of. How now can my partner create the, that feeling in me in a situation where it's just the two of us, right? So there's not necessarily, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to go out and do the threesome or like, you know, have sex on the back of the dump truck or do whatever. But what is it? Is it the excitement? Is it the getting caught? Is it, you know, open your blinds if that's the case or, you know, find the feeling that is underneath the fantasy and share that with your partner and see if you can move forward to find out a, a way to bring that into your relationship. You made a great point. It doesn't have to become a reality. And that's mm -hmm. part of the discussion too, because you'll see yeah. that one partner will say, that thing you just said about the thing, you know, do, do, do you want to do that? Or do you want me to do that? Or do you want us to do that? And then there has to be open communication about, no, actually, I, I, it's great as a fantasy. And I think it's yeah. wonderful for us to talk about it, but I don't think we have to do it. But then couples may evolve into, Actually, we would like to try that thing. Right. Or not. Yeah. Or not. Like, But at or least not. the discussion is happening and you have to be honest with each other about yes. what it means when you have these thoughts. Um, yeah. Cuckold is one of the most right. go-to places on, on porn, which is a guy, which is a partner yeah. watching. Watching their wife. Yeah. 
get railed, have sex, do the things and having their wife kind of take over. And they're just sitting kind of in the corner and not in a place of power. So cuckolding is generally the husband or the other partner, the male partner is not in a place of power watching that. They're kind of like the wife is in the power and she says, sit over there, I'll be done in a minute kind of thing. And that's a really hot place to be. And a lot of the time men will come to you and say they love that fantasy because they get to let go. And they get to release all of the pressure of performance. And they really just have to sit and watch. And she's in control. And in the bedroom, generally, the men, you know, are, end up being in control, whether they want to or not. And, and I use the word control very haphazardly here. But what I mean is, as we talked about earlier, they're supposed to know what to do. They're supposed to know how to do it. They're supposed to lead the way. They're, you know, all of those, quote, supposed tos. And cuckolding... If, if, if it's the man having that fantasy, he gets to relinquish all of that, all of the performance, all of that stress and gets to sit back and just watch something really powerful happening with, with his wife. Well, there it is. It's the watching because as a fantasy, uh, it's like watching porn. You can't mm. put yourself in the scene because you can't watch yourself, but you yep. can watch in porn somebody else doing it. And you can put yourself in a fantasy of you being the one doing it. And cuckolding is the same thing. You're watching yep. someone, you're imagining it's you or whatever the thoughts are in your head. And yep. then you can say, because she might say, do you want me to do that? And you can say, no, actually, but what a powerful fantasy. Thank you for you know helping me explore this and being open to talking about it. Hey, yeah. let's back up. You made me think about um, fantasy. Sometimes one partner um, when it's proposed, hey, let's talk about what are you into in your brain? What do you think about? Did you think about anything all day? And sometimes one partner will say, um, I, I don't really, I don't, I don't really do that. Or you could say, tell me a story, make something up, lie to me, um, tell me something. I, I don't, I don't know how to do that. I've never done that, which comes up. Sometimes that person that's never done that, once given the um, once given the freedom, once given the the prompt to do it, mm -hmm. become incredibly good at it and, and look back and say, I can't believe I didn't, you know, I hadn't done that before. I really enjoy it. Becomes a key element of the sexuality between two people and the pleasure, to your point, just increases dramatically because of that communication. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the and the release, you know, people who don't fantasize or say they don't fantasize or say they don't have thoughts and they've never really put themselves there. There's a lot of shame when those fantasies come up, they tamp them down, right? Something somewhere, someone in their life, society, culture, whatever that was, um, they were taught in some way that their sexuality was something to be afraid of, something that they weren't supposed to talk about, something they weren't supposed to, you know, allow out. You know, a lot of women in general, men have this as well, but, you know, women have been told, you know, if you, you know, if you portray yourself as a sexual woman, bad things are going to happen to you. The men are going to take advantage, right? But in the same, on the same note, men are told you have no control over your sexual urges. So if you have sexual urges, you're going to hurt somebody. Neither of those are true. Neither of those are true. Your sexuality is so beautiful and powerful and just the, the epitome of your creativity of your entire life and essence of living and of eroticism and having those fantasies, having the, the allowance, having the space to be able to let that go or even just cultivate it, even if you don't think you're super, quote, good at it, just a place where you can cultivate that and let that creative energy flow. It's really just storytelling, right? 
And aren't we all, if nothing, we all are storytellers in some way. And we just need to find that place and we can sit down. And I tell people, you know, if you have a hard time dirty talking or telling your person your fantasy, start out by just reliving a moment you had with your partner in real time, right? So if you can't come up with a fantasy, you know, maybe ask your partner, hey, can you tell me how you felt the last time we did this thing? And they could be like, oh my God, when you kissed my neck, it felt so great. And I could feel myself start to heat up on the inside. And, you know, you really just relive that moment. It's a really great way to practice like your dirty talk, your fantasy talk, allowing your brain to go there for a little while. That's a great point. Going back in your relationship, remember that time we drove to the thing and when we were driving, you did this or I did that. Remember the first time we did it, you know, in nature, outside, in the woods, replaying that stuff and then maybe embellishing that stuff. And, And then that leads to Let's go for a drive. Let's for go example. for a drive. Let's figure, right? Let's have some fun with this. Like, oh my God. Because, you know, day to day gets in our way, right? We're in long term relationships or even half long term relationships. It doesn't matter. Day to day gets in the way. And we, we put sex in this little tiny box that happens what on date night or Friday night, once or twice a month, and we do the thing. No, it doesn't have to be like that. You could go for that drive and you don't have to fully, you don't have to do anything crazy. Go for a drive and, I don't know, maybe put your hand on your partner's cock the whole way that they're driving. You know, you don't have to do the things that, you know, are in the movies and giving the blowjobs driving down the road if you don't feel comfortable. But do something. Allow that to happen. I had a client a couple of of years ago, and they wanted to do a little bit of exhibitionism, but they didn't feel really comfortable actually being seen. It was just the idea of being seen. So her homework was to go on a drive with her partner topless. So she's in the car, her partner's driving, she's topless, he's dying to get a little touch on, he couldn't wait to get with her. She's feeling the excitement of being topless and completely exposed. But nobody could see them because of course, they're driving down the highway down the road, you can't really get a good look at somebody but she knew that people could see her possibly. So this was the heat that was built up, that tension. And then they just went home and did whatever they were going to do at home. I mean, it was their private time to talk about between themselves. But that little bit of homework was just enough to kind of open the floodgates of the things that she knew that she was comfortable with. So sometimes we just need to take those, take the chance, like take the, have some fun with it. Oh, there's so much opportunity in a vehicle. There's the don't wear panties. There's the wear mm-hmm. a short skirt, the summer dress, to, to your point, the top off, uh, to your yep. point, his cock out, um, you know, through his zipper or his pants pulled down a bit. And then there's the where are we going to go pull over? What are we going to do? What do we do? <laughs> oh, and you can't, I don't know. I don't know if I can last very long with, with all of that stuff's going on. I'm like, no, 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 we're not making it home. <laughs> <laughs> right? And that's a good thing. Uh, talked about shame. Let's go into that a little bit. And, and you know, it re- always reminds me of a George Carlin skit where he's talking about the Catholic Church and, 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 and the shame around all of it. And then um, um, a sinning and then going and um, what do you call it when you go and, and Father I Confession. Sin. Confession. And confessional. <laughs> Um, So if you're thinking about robbing the corner store, save the cab fare or save the walk. You did it. You know, just thinking about it to your point earlier about having fantasy and and sharing thoughts. And there's nothing wrong with having thoughts. Going Mm -hmm. and doing it's another thing. And that's something, you you know, you uh, you negotiate between a couple. How are we Mm going to live this thing? How are we going to do this thing? Having the thoughts, not a bad thing. We were shamed for having thoughts, though, some Mm -hmm. of us. 
And we, yeah. then we shamed ourselves for having the thoughts because we were taught that they were bad. The yeah. role of shame and how damaging shame has been to people and their sexuality. Speak to that. Oh, I can't. I mean, we could do it, an entire episode on that. The, the entire, you know, the entire world of sexuality has been so tamped down and so shame wrought. It, it, from, from even, so we're talking about how to speak pussy, for example. You know, women are taught that we're not even allowed to look at our pussies. That even if we looked at it and touched it, we were wrong. You know, there there are women that don't know where their urethras are. There are women that, women that I don't know. I don't know who can speak to this. I I grew up in in an Irish Catholic community. I went to church. I did the confessionals. And when I didn't have anything to confess, the priest would say to me, "Just think about something you think you'd want to confess to. Like they made you confess. Like they made you feel super. Like, but what would you? What do you think you could have done this week that maybe you could have confessed to? I'm like, oh, you've got to have something better to do with your day. But anyway, I digress. Yeah, growing up like Irish Catholic, I was told if I was sitting with my legs open, like at all, even as a little girl, I was told, close your legs. The bus has gone through. Like your legs are open so far right now that a whole busload of people could come through there. And as I grew up, I didn't really know what it meant. I kind of thought they were talking about like a bus, you know, a bus is large. It's big. I'm a little girl. I'm just thinking about that. But no, what was meant by that was your legs are open. A busload of men have come through you is what it is, what was trying to be connotated toward that end, that we had to keep our legs closed all the time. And if you didn't, I was also told that um, it was a girl's right, a guy's right to try and a girl's to deny. Okay. Therefore, men, it's okay inherently for men to be sexual and for them to try, but you as a woman need to deny that. So every time as a young teenager growing up into my sexuality and loving, loving my sexuality, I did. I had a lot of shame wrapped around that because we were told from a very young age that you weren't supposed to even like it. You know, you did it with, with your husband and it doesn't hurt. So you can do it if you want to, as long as it doesn't hurt. And it's kind of messy, but, you know, there's nothing really in it for you. Like we were never told there was really anything in it for women. It was really just kind of do it, right? And on the other side of it, you know, men, men are told that they're allowed to masturbate though. Young boys they're not really shamed for masturbating necessarily, but they are sort of because what, what did you learn how to do? You learned how to touch yourself quickly, quietly, and in private, right? Quickly, quietly, and private. Don't make a mess. Don't leave any evidence. If you're going to do it, go do it and don't let anybody else know about it, which is fine. I mean, it's a private, it can be a private thing, but shamed into being fast and quiet and secretive. And now we have men that grow up who don't learn how to speak pussy or they, they have sex very quickly, right? They're wondering why they have pre, you know, pre-ejaculation problems. Um, quietly, they won't make noises because that's not masculine to make noises. It's not right to make noises as a man. And then in secret, right? Like they want to do it quick and quiet and they want the lights off as well. Some people, or they take their secrecy and it turns a little more... Um, a little more shameful, you know, maybe their secrecy, they don't think that they can have a, a vulnerable open sex life, they need to have a secret sex life wherein they're watching porn in secret or masturbating in secret because they were told it was supposed to be secret. So that vulnerability is not like laid out on the table and it is full of shame to even have the conversations about sex because they were taught it was supposed to be a secret their entire lives. So there's so many things. I mean, we could, you can go on for hours about that. You make a great point about how men were also 
shamed in the mm-hmm. way they were told to do the thing. And then they impose that on the woman too. So there's yeah. there's even another layer of shame when, when, when they get together. Right. Exactly. So now men are not, so quote, right? Men are not performing well enough for the women to have the orgasms and women fake the orgasms because we're kind of rolling our eyes at these men who don't know how to do the thing, but we don't touch our own bodies and we don't even know where our clits are and we just jam vibrators on them and then we expect our partners to perform. It's just such a, it's just such a clusterfuck. Like I just (laughs) (laughs) to add to that, then we don't have the conversation about it. So we can actually learn. You made me think about this. I've never thought about this. If these conversations and if the discovery that happens through the conversations, all of it from how does this work? What feels good? Honey, let me tell you. And you, and, and it's a two way street. It's a two way conversation, mm-hmm. getting all of that on the table in all the ways. And then if that happens before the kids come for couples who want to have kids, yeah. that's kind of a foundation. That's a yeah. base, great underpinning in a relationship of sexuality before the kids come. And I've got to think, and you tell me what your thoughts are. We have so many um, um, examples of couples that claim to have had wonderful, great sex before the kids came. And then that stopped. Some of them found their way back. Most of them didn't. Most of them got divorced. We see it all the time. I got to think that maybe a lot of them didn't have that underpinning to get through that thing that is uh, young kids in a a house. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I agree with you. I do agree with you on that. I think that we're having a lot of sex. All of us are having sex, but we're not actually having the sex that we want to be having. We're just having it. So we think that duration, uh, quantity, you know, that's a good sex life. Yeah, we had sex four times a week. You know, great. Okay, cool. Well, you know, how long was it? Okay, well, it was two minutes or maybe it was 45 minutes. It doesn't matter what that is. But if it's not the sex you want, then you're not going to be motivated to go and have the sex again, right? So the thing after kids, I like to tell people this. So yes, going into that, having that foundation of a good sex life, knowing how to worship your partner's cock, knowing how to speak pussy, knowing how to really worship each other's bodies in this beautiful, sensual, erotic way is going to be so important for that foundation to be laid because you're going to have a positive feedback system. You're going to think to yourself, oh my God, I really miss that. You know, it wasn't a chore. I really miss doing that with my partner. But secondly, anybody out there having kids or you have young kids and you're listening or you want to, once you have kids, everybody says, oh, we'll get back to it when they're older. Yeah, you won't. So listen, I have three kids. My oldest is 18 and my youngest is 13. My husband and I had the most sex when they were babies. Okay. When they're babies and toddlers, when you can, when you can put your baby down and they don't go anywhere, that's when you need to be kind of getting back into it. Now that's not a forced, you know, after you've had a baby, go back and have sex right away. I actually do a a post maternity or a maternity talk as well about that and how long it takes you to get your libido back and your arousal and and no pressure and things like that. But once you're there, so many people then, we have a hard time, A, as, as the mother, looking at ourselves as a sex kitten. Again, once you become a mother, you just have this, you know, primal part in your in your brain that wants to take care of your baby, and you're, it's really hard to become a sex kitten again. But then your your partner as well looks at you in that motherly role, and they don't want to get in the way of that 
part of your body as well, right? So we need to really kind of come together and realize that just because we're mothers and fathers or parents, it doesn't mean that we're also not juicy sex people and sex kittens and that we can do it. When the babies are little, keep the ball rolling. Even if it's like makeout sessions, everybody just listen up. It doesn't have to be about PNV. It doesn't have to be about clit stimulations. It doesn't have to be about any of that. Think about that time when you were 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, whatever your, your sexual debut era was when you were coming into your sexuality and you were just making out with these people and your body was on fire and every part of you was like, oh, what is happening? I love it. Like my lips, I can feel every kiss and I can feel every taste and I can smell them. And I love the way they touch my arms. And you know, that first hand that you get on your knee in the movie theater with that guy that you really liked and all of that tension is what we want to keep going, but we skip over it after a while. After a while, it's kind of like, oh, hey, you want to go do it? Yeah, sure. Everybody gets naked. You get on top. Somebody sticks something in somewhere and it's over. But that's not what actually got us there to begin with, you know? So much more tension led up to that. And that was the that was the end, okay? So I go on and on about this pleasure scale that we have. And, you know, from, from zero to 10. So zero is nothing's happening, right? You're going off about your day and doing whatever you've got to do in your life. But let's say you see something that's arousing or you think about something that's arousing, whether it's your fantasy or you see somebody on the street or you see your partner, whatever that is. We roll up to like two and three on the pleasure scale, okay? We're kind of like we're getting aroused. We're like, ooh, yeah, there's something going on there. And then four, you know, four or five, maybe let's say we're with your partner and you go up to your partner and you start kissing and you start making out and you do all this stuff. Your arousal is building up to like a four, five, six, seven, okay? And 10 is the epitome. 10 is like orgasm, Okay. So now we go all the way up this pleasure scale. Everybody is so focused on 10. But what happens at 10? It's over. It's over at 10. You're going to make a sandwich and change diapers at 10. I don't ever want to get to 10. I want to stay at like nine, nine and a half, eight, and just ride those waves of pleasure over and over and over. So if we can redefine what that means for anybody, you know, we talk a lot about women, but anybody who is having what's what, you know, we pathologize as delayed orgasm. But think about this. If you can learn how to re, you know, reboot that in your head to the fact that you're riding these waves of orgasmic pleasure over and over and over, that's the tension that you want to have built up in your in your life. You know, that's the eroticism that you really want to have built up. I want to I want to walk around seeped in that all day long. I don't ever want to just be closed off and done. So, that's my rant on the pleasure scale. <laughs> and and you talked about how it can be okay, we've got a bit of time, the kids are out or whatever the thing is, when you have time and you run off and do it and it becomes a cock and pussy and it's over very quickly because the quickie, the quickie. Yeah. Some couples have um, hour long is a quickie and yep. their their sessions are two hours typically. I know yep. some who do this and I think it's a wonderful thing. And, and they don't think of it as delaying the orgasm. They think of it as riding those waves. Right. And one of the things that men have a problem with, sometimes it's younger men because they learn their way out of it, is the, the premature ejaculation. Very common at any age. Mm. The way around it, something you said earlier in a different context, 
breathing because mm-hmm. sometimes, especially younger men, get so excited about the fact that they're in the act again and they haven't been in the act in too long that that, that everything gets 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 everything builds and builds and builds and builds and builds it and and then you know you've been making out you've been cocking pussy for five minutes and suddenly you're you're coming and it's over right and it's done then but breathing through it is one of the easiest and most effective ways for men to not come it's it's like don't forget to breathe yeah. You hold your yeah. breath. We all do that when we're anxious. We hold our breath when we're afraid. We mm-hmm. hold our breath in sex. If you yeah. breathe through that, deep breaths through when it feels like you've been brought to the edge and you're not going to be able to stop, breathe yeah. through it. We talk about exactly. that a lot in our in our erotic narrations that follow these interviews. And I want to I want to um, go to one that you did. You've given me permission because we talked about this before. I went to your website, serenahaines.com and uh, your blogs. One of them is a story uh, called That's My Girl, a short story. I discovered when I read it was that you're an incredible erotic writer, Serena. Thank you. It's got to come out somewhere, doesn't it? (laughs) (laughs) You got to let the juices flow when they come and those thoughts come in and, you know, you have those fantasies. I just, I really love putting pen to paper and just letting it kind of like, yeah, flow through. And the story that I will tell that you wrote as sort of a a, a pre-story to the uh, erotic narration this time in this episode reminded me of fantasies that people do tell each other kind of the foreplay for a lot of people. Telling fantasies, using that as foreplay is one thing. You know, writing erotica is pretty juicy. Reading erotica is one of, you know, I think one of the coolest ways for couples to try something new if you're not really into, you know, watching porn together or maybe you're afraid to share your fantasies with your partner. Find somebody else's erotic writing and start reading it to one another. Take turns, role play. If there's like a if there if there's you know characters speaking if there are lines of of prose like read them out to one another role play within that and just allow somebody else's fantasies to let you kind of go off in your own little world and think geez i never thought i would ever that would ever really kind of get to me but that really that really turned me on baby thank you you can learn something about yourself you can learn something about your partner based on what they choose to read to you it can be a good thing in the bath mm-hmm. maybe she's having the bath and you're next to her on the floor and you're reading to her or the other mm-hmm. way around or you're together in the bathtub reading it'll teach you about yourself and about your partner what it taught me when i read yours the one i'm going to read in a bit is how to be a better writer you opened me up to because we can get into Aww. patterns as writers about anything and i thought that was great the way she set that up and made that description and it was different than i write and i'd like to write more like you write so Aww. thank you Thank you. That's a that's a huge compliment. I really appreciate that. You know, I I write I write when I when I honestly, I write when I'm so pent up with eroticism that there's nowhere else for it to go, you know? And we have these thoughts and these feelings and you just want to get it out and I I've never really written like a full story. It's always just these like snippets. And I'm telling you, those snippets, you don't know where I could be. I could be a hockey mom at hockey practice and I'm typing away and anybody nobody knows what I'm doing. And, but what's going on in my head is really just keeping me going. Yeah, I really <laughs> love it. I encourage you to do more of those and put them at serena.com. Oh, I want to read more of those. 
when you do counseling with people, you offer, as you've been doing this whole hour so far, uh, practical tips because some people tell me what to do. Tell me, tell me where to go. I don't know. I want to make this relationship better. I want to make the pursuit of pleasure primary in our relationship. I want to get us both to get off more and, and, and more successfully. So practical tips. What's something else um, you would say to a couple that's not in crisis necessarily, but just in a place where they're not progressing to get to understand each other better and to, and to acquire more pleasure together? I think that, well, first of all, coming into counseling is a really great place to start. So coming in, having that third party, I'm, I, I joke about that a little bit, but having the third party in there is so um, beneficial for a lot of people. You know, me sitting there and listening to two people, you know, talk about what they want, but we, we put a cloud over what feedback versus criticism is when it comes to our partners sometimes. So, you know, partners can be sitting there and like you said, they're not on the brink of anything bad happening. They just want more pleasure in their lives, but they're terrified to give their partners feedback or, um, you know, suggest anything because sometimes it can come out as criticism and, and we don't really know how to handle that a lot. I, I tell people all the time to say thank you. Just say thank you immediately. If somebody says to you, um, you know, baby, I'd really like to try this sometime, just say thank you. You're going to trick your brain into realizing that it's feedback and not criticism instead of instead of not. The other thing that I actually really like to do with with couples and I I take the time to do this is I will text a person. Okay. This happens all the time. We've got a partner who wants more sex and a partner who doesn't necessarily initiate it enough, okay? So we've got a little desire discrepancy there. Somebody feels spontaneously horny all the time and wants to do it, but they're just tired of initiating all the time and they want their partner to, to make them feel desired too. I'll text that other partner different things they need to do. For example, um, you know, you give me the rundown of your week and I know that on Wednesday at, you know, four or five o'clock, you're going out for dinner. Well, at four o'clock, you're going to get a text from me that says, go pin your girl up against the wall go pin her up against the wall and kiss her. And they'll be like, oh my God, but then they have to do it. And then I want that feedback afterwards. Well, what happened, right? Or, you know, before you leave the house, you're going to go down on your partner for five minutes, set a timer, five minutes or two minutes. <laughs> it depends on how long it takes that partner. <laughs> so you know your partner well, but go down on your partner for 30 seconds to a minute. There's no, there's no goal. There's no end goal of anything. You're just creating that eroticism. And then the, all of a sudden, if you do something like that every single day, it's just crazy the change that can happen. Kissing is one of the biggest, biggest indicators of success in a relationship. A six-second kiss, research has shown, will release all of the chemicals, all of the bonding hormones, all of the things that you need in order to not only feel connected to your partner, but to start actually feeling awake and alive yourself. You know, it really is stereotypically, and I will generalize quite a bit when I say this, but stereotypically, it is the women who shut down emotionally, when, um, erotically, when it comes to their sex a lot more. We have a guard up and our men are coming at us and they're like, no, 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 come on, baby. I just want to like grab your ass. I want to do this. I want to do that. So we need to be melted a little bit. And, and I'm one of them too. You know, I can sit here in my erotic nature all to pieces, but if the day has gotten to me... I've got a huge wall up just in one day, so I need that. So my partner will come to me, open mouth kiss for six seconds, and all of a sudden, I, I implore you, tell me if it doesn't happen, you just feel your body melting into your partner again. You know, you have somebody take control, you have somebody come and just hold you in that erotic nature, you get to relax and release. Hugging can do the same thing. Okay, so hugging is the first step. 
Kissing is the second step. Going down on your partner in the porch is the third step. So, you know, you don't have to panic. I'm not going to tell everybody to get head like in the porch all the time. (laughs) (laughs) But that's a great point about the where. If you're always doing it in the bedroom, the same way. Go to the porch. Go to the, there's there's lots of places in a house, let's face it. There's that room you never use. Go try that bed. Yeah. There's the laundry room. There's the basement. I, I met a couple in Jamaica a couple of years ago. We went down and they were celebrating their 25th wedding anniversary and they were so madly in love. It was disgusting. They were all over each other. It was just amazing to the point where I actually had to ask them two or three times, are you renewing your vows or getting married? Like, I don't understand. And they were like, no, 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 we're renewing our vows. And after a week and, and a whole bunch of margaritas, we were like, you've got to tell us the secret. Like, why are you guys so crazy in love like this? And she said the same thing. And this was before I even started doing the work that I'm doing. So this had to be almost 10 years ago. Um, She said to me, listen, when the children are small, that's the time that you need to create and keep these bonds. And she laughed and he laughed. And he said, I don't know how many broken light bulbs we fixed in that basement. And I laughed, but that's what they would do. They would tell the children. It was the only only room in the house with a lock on it. And every week there was a broken light bulb or a broken something, or they had to fix something in the basement. And they would go to the basement and just have a quickie, whatever that meant, whether they were kissing or hugging, we didn't get into it. Whatever they were doing, they took that time intentionally to be with one another because they knew that life was going to get in the way. And they knew they weren't always going to feel like hot, sexy sex kittens all the time. But you have to make it happen sometimes. So that was like the biggest advice that I have ever heard for a long-term relationship in their in their eroticism. And I always share that with people. You made me think of something. Sometimes, oftentimes, because, you know, at least 50% of uh, marriages are uh, partnerships end in divorce and then there's Mm -hmm. blended families after that or uh, you know it starts with he or she starts dating someone else when they're ready and they have little kids at home so Mm -hmm. here's what it looks like oftentimes the focus has been so much on the kids because trying to negotiate um, a semblance of normalcy through a breakup can be incredibly difficult Mm -hmm. one of the things that happens is she or he have such focus on the kids that when the new potential partner comes in, there's such a distant second on the priority uh, level. And that's mm-hmm. fine. We understand that as as partners coming into something where there is a family structure. You're the new person. What often happens, and I hear about this, is I'm so uh, down the, the list of priorities that when we are together, we're interrupted constantly by kids. And there's no sense of, uh, boundaries. Um, mm-hmm. And so there's not a lock on the door or there's not a lock used. Oh no, my kids come first. So things right. get interrupted or things don't even start. But but people, couples that are getting into new relationships um, have to give the thing enough seriousness to to have a little bit of boundaries. Mm-hmm. No, if, if there's something, if, if the kids are in danger or, or, or whatever the case is, yes, you, you're going to jump up, stop what you're doing and go tend to that. But the open door policy that some parents do, my kids are first and they can just walk in anytime. Yeah. That's not cool. You will never have a good uh, compatibility Ever. in sex life, right? Talk to that, please. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if people, I don't know if we're videoing or not, but I am just shaking my head the whole time you're talking. I have, you know, and it's, it's rather an unpopular opinion, but it's getting there. People are starting to understand what it means when I say your cup, your kids don't come first. You and your partner come first. Uh, Honestly, I say I come first, 
my partner and I come second and my children come third and everything else comes after that. Okay. But you're right. I mean, you know, there's nuances. People will jump down your throat. I go, no, no, no. I'm not locking the kids out on a snowstorm. Like, relax. They're taken care of. But if you don't prioritize your relationship, that it's going to fall to pieces. I don't think your children should come first. There needs to be a semblance of uh, privacy. There needs to be um, eroticism between you and your partner. Think about this. Now, you're coming. So we're talking now about, you know, blended families, but let's just think for a second what it was like when you first met a partner who didn't have any kids, okay? Just in general, you dated, right? You dated, there were no kids. You put your partner first. Hopefully, that's why you were there. You were excited to see them. You turned your friends down. Like how many times have I turned my girlfriends down to go see a new guy because I'm like super excited, but they understand and it doesn't happen all the time. And again, generalizations, but you know, you're really excited. You've got that tension building. And then the kids come and then it's actually really, that becomes hard because then you don't know how to be a couple anymore. You have to learn how to do that. So now speaking to what you were saying, already having the children involved, yeah, it's going to be a road, okay? It doesn't have to be a rough road, but it's going to be a road to get there. Understanding the intentionality of creating yourself as a couple first is going to help those children, no matter what, have a sense of stability anyway. They need that partnership. Kids enjoy and crave and require boundaries. And people, I think, forget that a lot. I'm not a parental expert, so disclaimer, but I do know that children require and crave those boundaries. That's why they push boundaries. They're pushing to see how far they can push in order to be held in a safe place by this parent, by this adult. So as a couple, you need to be able to do that. I'm kind of giggling to myself right now because I'm like, well, there are some little like submissive brats that do the same thing. Like we push and we push and we just want, we just want to be put in our place sometimes. It's this, it's kind of the same thing, but completely different. So like, don't come at me with like <laughs> the comparison. <laughs> right. Yeah. Please hold your calls on that one. But you know, it just made me giggle when I was thinking about it because I'll do that sometimes. Sometimes I'm pushing and pushing. It's because I want that boundary to be held for me. I want Want to, I want that safe space to be held for me, you know, and I'm kind of creating that. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> That's a whole other podcast. I like when you digress. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> keep your couple first. Couples first, kids second. Have a door well, the, with a lock on it. You know, uh, put your own uh, oxygen mask. You know, they tell you in the plane, yes. put your own oxygen mask on. First you have to take care of yourself child. first. You yeah. really do. I, I was uh, a, a friend of mine. I like to position it that way. Uh, told me about how his mother, and he was relaying this to his new partner who had kids. And he said his mother um, said that while you kids are everything to me, your father mm -hmm. came first because he was here first. And without him, you wouldn't yeah. be here. So it was yeah. exactly what she's saying. So that. my friend said this to his new partner who had the kids and was recently divorced. Uh, yeah. And she said, well, that's just old fashioned thinking. That's just, mm. that. and, and, and he said, actually, I don't think that's a 50s, 60s thing. That's somebody with boundaries, that somebody identifies the importance of the couple structure. Like I remember my parents, I talked a lot about the shame, the shame that was put on me, my Irish Catholic. But honestly, if I ever, if we ever did something in my home, I have a sister as well. If we ever did something in my home, my parents never went and said something like, don't talk to your mother that way. My father would say, don't talk to my wife like that. And my mother would say, don't disrespect my husband that way, right? So we were, we were positioned at a really young age to put the couple first. And that, you know, 
the kids were the second. I mean, we were right there. I mean, we're not talking too far down the line, you know? I mean, it was right there. But there was none of this, you know, calling my partner, mommy or daddy. Like, I don't call my husband, you know, listen to dad. I say, you know, listen to your father or listen to my husband or, you know, whatever we're talking about. But positioning yourself in that couple all the time, very intentionally. And it it actually kind of can create that eroticism between the two of you too, because you have this little secret affair. And it's not so secret, but you know, you have this little affair between the two of you. That's your relationship. That's who you share this with and all of the all of the trials and tribulations that come with it. So I think it's important to have those boundaries for sure. As a result of that, you're maintaining that eroticism. But mm-hmm. foreplay is 24-7 potentially. All the time. The minute sex ends, <laughs> foreplay begins. Everything you do between the, the that 10 that you hit on that pleasure scale, if somebody's going to come, okay, and we're done and we're getting sandwiches because we all need sandwiches after sex. And I don't care who you are. Give me a towel, get me some water, make me a sandwich. <laughs> and we'll be happy for the rest of our lives. But everything that happens after that moment until the next time we're together, that's your foreplay. Those are the things that matter. And then the second you start kissing, touching, whispering sweet nothings, reading erotica, talking about your fantasies, all of that is sex. All of it. We've got to stop positioning sex as just this penis and pussy sex. It's just that's not how it works everything else is so that and honestly you know Jeff that that way we can we can just expand our definition of sex so that people who are in relationships who maybe can't get an hour of penetrative intercourse in four times a week but they've made out four times a week or maybe they grabbed each other a couple of times or maybe somebody had their nipples kind of tweaked while they were making pasta they can define that as having a beautiful sex life as well, instead of it having to be this definitive act all the time. It's just a constant wave of eroticism running through your your relationship. People say, happy wife, happy life. And, and I have no problem with that. But if it's going to be happy, uh, give it the, um, um, the respect that you figure out and you know the other person you talk about, cock worship and pussy worship really get to know the other person inside and out so that yes. that can be practical not just, they're just not they're not just words anymore they're things that you've learned about invested in and yeah. can um, confidently proceed with right 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 happy spouse happy house oh, is like kind of a, a nicer yeah i mean happy That's wife great. happy life I, i'm into it but you know i do like to keep my man happy too i want i want you know, I take, I take a lot of pleasure in giving pleasure, you know, we, and, and a lot of women, again, it, it's a, it's a long conversation, but a lot of women have shame in taking pleasure from giving pleasure. We were told we weren't supposed to like blowjobs. You're told you're not supposed to like come. You're, you're not supposed to like these things. You're just supposed to do it because they want to do it. So what about the women who do really like it? We were told that we were sluts. Only sluts like shit like that. Only, you know, you know, only people who have no morals like that kind of thing. I'm like, well, you know what? Then I'm a slut because I'm a slut for pleasure. Just bring it. I want it all. I want to give it. I want to get it. I used to drive down the road with with a partner that I had, and uh, and and I loved her attitude about it. She goes, "Sluts? What's wrong with sluts?" That was that was what she would say yeah. because she she owned her sexuality and she had no um, uh, shame about it. Right. She threw shame out the window at a young age. It does nobody any good. So oh, good. Like what do they say about sluts? They say, you know, sluts are, and it's just, it just makes me laugh. Sluts are women who like sex a lot. And I go, okay, <laughs> sign me up. 
Yeah. Like capital S on that. Yeah. Thank you, sir. I'll take it. <laughs> well, I mentioned uh, to whom I don't know in one of these episodes, probably to half the um, wonderful guests that I've had on here. The number one, um, the number one prerequisite for giving good head, whether it's you know uh, licking pussy or um, or sucking cock, is mm-hmm. what. The number one prerequisite is what? Enthusiasm. Enthusiasm. Liking to do the thing. Yes, like it. And you know when a partner is doing something to you and they're not enjoying doing it, you can feel that energy shift, you know? And there's nothing in this world. A man could go down on me for four hours. And if I think he's just doing it for my pleasure, I'm not into it. I want you lost in there. I want to like be calling your name and saying that like, you know, Uber Eats is here. I want to be talking to you and you're in your own little world and you were like, girl, I am not doing this for you. Shut your mouth. We are in this for the long haul and really feel it. And it's the same. Like when I'm giving head, I'm not, you know, no offense, you guys, but like, I don't give a shit if you really like it. I mean, I do, but I don't really. I'm doing it for me most of the time. I like doing it. It gets me wet. It gets me turned on. It gets me horny. So if I'm doing something that I like, I know whether I'm doing it, quote, good or not. Maybe I'm not using the technique that you find the most amazing, but you can sense my enthusiasm. And I promise you, they're not stopping you if they can and, sense and, that enthusiasm. <laughs> and the reaction you're getting from from them tells you how good you're doing it. Oh, this is what full circle on that one. There are barriers. There are reasons why people don't do things. We touched on shame, but there's other ones. There could be there could be trauma related to giving head. Mm-hmm. You know, a, a guy may have been criticized to your point earlier for doing yeah. it wrong. A, a yeah. woman uh, maybe had a really bad experience, sexual trauma that was 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 uh, assault that yep. involved uh, giving head. There's there's a lot of reasons. There's a lot of barriers to getting the pleasure you want. And I guess one of the ways to come through that is through one-on-one therapy, more than anything, probably one-on-one therapy, because certainly couple therapy has a role. But yeah. but how you get to know yourself is probably the most important thing you can it is, do. It is the most important, yeah. Working through that trauma alone, uh, I say alone, but like with a therapist, with a counselor, with a coach, with whomever you feel comfortable with, and sometimes all of us in tandem, if I'm being honest, um, is going to be the, that's how you're going to heal. There, there's, there are ways to heal with your partner and that's okay. But if you don't come through that on your own, there will always be something coming up where you're doing it for somebody else or you're, you know, you're not really kind of in it for yourself. So those things, you know, if there's any trauma, sexual trauma in my work, honestly, in my line of work, deep sexual trauma gets referred out to a therapist. I think that's just a really important note to say in in my profession that it's not really where my wheelhouse is. I want to be very clear on that. And if you come to me, then you're going to be very safe to find a beautiful referral that I'm going to help you help you with. But when it comes to pleasure and, and finding different ways to do things, you know, I've had people come to me and say, you know, I don't like giving head anymore because the first time that I went down on a guy, he just deep throated me immediately because that's what he thought he was supposed to do because we were like 18 and that's where he learned it in porn. And, you know, then we've kind of got to go through this whole thing. I have a, I have lesbians in my work right now. I have a lesbian uh, couple that I'm working with whom they want to try penetration. One of them has never had penetration. She's never been with a man in her life. She's never had a dildo. She's never had anything in, in her body at all. And we're understanding now that it's because she felt shame in being a lesbian growing up through her teen years 
And she felt so terrible about not wanting penetration that now when it comes time for any sort of pleasurable penetration, she's having a hard time letting go and releasing into that with her partner because she thinks it's, quote, supposed to be with a man. So there's so many things that, you know, that can limit where we're going to go in our sexuality. And it really is just kind of picking away at it and not feeling guilty or, or trying not to feel a shame around um, letting those things bubble up to the surface and just kind of picking away at it very, very easily and very gently and, and trying to find out where we can find the, the most pleasure and satisfaction. Pleasure hunting. It's important. Find, find the barriers that uh, mm-hmm. really look at yourself and find those things that are keeping you from, from, from having it and from claiming it and from enjoying yeah. it. I've really enjoyed this conversation because of your enthusiasm around all of it, but because of the way you articulate it. You've covered so much ground, Serena. I would Thank love you. you to come back. This was episode 18. Somewhere between 18 and 30, would you come back and dig into something more? thousand percent. I'm always here. Okay. I'd love to do that. Fantastic. Best way to get a hold of you, is it through your website? Best way to get a hold of me would be on Instagram right now. It's Serena underscore Haynes. Um, my website, serenahaines.com, and you can find me there to book all the sessions. Everything, all my offerings and events are up through my Instagram. And I've been trying to be on TikTok, but I think I'm too old. <laughs> I'm just not good at it. <laughs> That's probably more close to it. Because Sabrina Baldini, who's been on this podcast twice, who yeah. uh, who is probably around your age, I'm guessing. I don't know. I think we are. Uh, yeah, we, we have a, a lovely little relationship, her and I. She's lovely. And she's mm-hmm. got, some, I don't know, 125,000 followers on TikTok. I know. And, and she loves it. I think that if anyone's too old, it's me. But then I see then I see people who do it really well, you know, near my I age. Know. So I'm it's just it's just a block I have. Your Instagram's great too. Again, Serena underscore Haynes, correct? That's right. And that's how I found you. Um, so go there and follow and follow Blue Hotel Podcast too. In a couple of minutes, we talked about it earlier, but I am going to uh, narrate Serena's wonderful short story called That's My Girl. And then I'll give you one of my stories that'll be inspired <laughs> by that. <laughs> so thanks again for the attention. I'm excited to hear for that. <laughs> <laughs> Serena Haynes, everybody. Thanks so much. Thank you. She did it right. The blue hotel. She did a night at the blue hotel. And now, not one but two stories. The first one's short and from the pen of our special guest today, Serena Haynes, featuring a cuckold hybrid sort of scene that's really juicy. And the second one is my latest, about a man and a woman who will do it anywhere they please. Here they come. Here's one written by Serena Haynes. It's called That's My Girl. It's a short story. It goes like this. It was almost over before you came close enough. You'd been sitting so perfectly in the corner behind him as I rode his cock slow and deep. Every time he sucked on my tits, my head fell backward in pure pleasure. I could see your eyes twinkle with pride. He held me tight around my waist as we sat folded into one another. His hands expertly explored my body and neck, caressing my hair and face full of love and devotion. 
My chest was red and swollen, heaving with breath as we rocked together, building and building. And you sat in the corner, strong, proud, patient. You were so proud. Every now and then, unable to contain your pleasure, I would see a small grin on your face and you would just shake your head slowly, telling me, with your eyes, you're worth everything. I was almost at my breaking point. You had me promise I wouldn't come, but I was almost there. I was nervous and excited. And then you moved, slowly, calculated, not rushed, in complete control. I watched you take your shirt off. He sucked my nipples like I was his lifeline. You opened your pants and I saw your cock. That almost did me in and you saw it. Walking toward me, you're smiling and so happy with me. He grabs my hips and ass, squeezing my juicy flesh as he drives his cock deep into my pussy, hitting all the right places every single time. You stand over my shoulder, ignoring his groans almost like he wasn't there. As I look up at you, I feel your hand on my cheek and you lean down and kiss me softly. You've been such a good girl today. I come a little hearing your words and having you so close. I feel your hand at the back of my head grabbing my hair firmly and holding me in place. You gently lay your cock to my lips and trace my open mouth with the tip. You deserve this, baby. I'm so proud of you. Your cock enters my mouth and I'm still full with his cock rocking, writhing, and feeling his mouth on my tits and chest. His hands are now squeezing my hips so tightly it hurts just the perfect amount. I take you all the way in. Feel you at the back of my throat, craving you like I'm being fed for the first time in days. Gentle and so deep you fuck my face, my hair held tight. His cock is throbbing inside of me now. I know what's happening. That's my girl, your voice so slow and sensual. I felt you grow in my mouth. He grew in my pussy, and I couldn't control it any longer. With one final, long, slow thrust in my throat, I heard you groan my name and felt the heat build in my body. I felt my pussy explode all over his lap, and you explode in my mouth, deep in the back of my throat, holding me so tight. I felt him explode in my pussy with a guttural groan, primal. I was a mess, spent, exhausted, exalted. You took my head in your hands and kissed me gently all over my face. My eyes, forehead, and lips. That'll be enough, you said to him, and helped me off his lap. He walked away, and you lay me down to rest. I felt you stroke my hair and face as I drifted off. I'm so proud of you was the last thing I heard before I curled into your body and slept wrapped tightly in your arms. Protected property, properly used. So there you have it. Thank you, Serena Haynes, for what we'll call a bonus bedtime story. And now a new one from me. This is called 90 Days. Like songwriters hear songs they wish they'd written. Sometimes I read lines from books and from poems I wish I'd written, like this one. She was a risk, a mystery, and the most certain thing I'd ever known. Bo Taplin from Australia wrote that in a piece called A Certainty. He also wrote this. Once a deep and powerful connection between two people has been made, they become an intrinsic part of one another's lives, and there's no separating them. No measure of distance or duration of silence may prevent the outbreak of a smile or the quiet desire to leap back into each other's arms when they come together once more. 
key line come together. They could. They did. When they wanted to. Sometimes it was all about her. Sometimes him. These two were so hung up on one another, they tried everything. And everything just worked. Everything that was the moments before and after they fucked and sucked. And drove each other so fucking crazy they wanted it to never end. But it would. And it would start again. And stop and start again. Sophia had been everything to River. The way he opened her up to things she hadn't even known about herself. He could tell you about her imperfectly perfect smile and the way she'd look away with sincere shyness when he'd shoot a look at her. A look that melted her heart. And she did the same thing to him. He reveled in the way she stood there, never in socks, feet always bare around the house, unwittingly provocative in the way she balanced on one leg in some sort of pose left over from the morning's yoga. And while that smile and that shyness and those feet and those poses warmed his heart, it was what she brought to the bedroom and beyond that ruined him most. And when they found themselves apart, they pined for one another every fucking day. Alone she'd be, thinking about the last time and the fifty times before that, and for five minutes, stealing away once, twice, three times a day, that kept her perpetually lubricated. He, on the other hand, craved more time together. He'd hold off even when his cock throbbed at the thought of having her again. And on those days that he just couldn't take it any longer, he didn't bother with porn, because all he had to do was close his eyes and picture her on top, riding the way she did, with that shy smile and warm body, and the way she smelled <laughs> was hers alone. When he closed his eyes and pictured Oliver, in two minutes he'd explode, saying her name over and over as he shuddered and continued to throb before becoming still and ready for a deep sleep, God's sleeping pill as it were. And when he did cruise porn into the search, he typed keywords like blonde, curly, milf, and big cock. It never didn't get him off. It was like it was her. It wasn't the same as the real thing, but fuck, it was hot. Now, much time had passed, and there again the reality. No measure of distance or duration of silence may prevent the desire to leap back into each other's arms when they came together once more. Three months apart was the longest they'd endured, both thinking that was it and never again. Well, you know what they say. Sophia woke with the overarching thought of him getting in behind her and slipping his hardness between her legs and all the rest that was sure to follow as it always had since they met. She was always wet for him and he was never not hard for her. The kind of connection that had never come before and would never come again of that they were certain. And on this day she had an appointment to get a deep tissue massage her RMT had the touch and could find the knots in her neck and shoulders. And so on this day she dressed down as usual, comfort the priority, for the trip there and the one back home. She had pointed her car toward the mountain when suddenly the phone rang. It was River. They hadn't spoken in weeks, and the call was both a welcome relief and a cruel tease. But she always answered his calls when she was kid-free. And not thirty seconds into hearing his voice, down she went, her hand slipping beneath her pants to feel herself welling up again. And she told him so, and he said, I know. 
because he was already hard in his pants, and she knew that too. They were comfortable without having to even talk. The sound of her breathing was enough while she drove and he listened. As she fingered and stroked herself, she would have come would it not have sent her car into the ditch. Where are you now, she asked, hearing the sound of his car. His reply, Aaron's, which was a lie. His car was pointed towards where she lived. They talked a bit more. And then she said, okay, I'm pulling into my driveway now. She got out and kept him in her ear as she walked into the house and parked her body on the stairs, finding her spot again with her free hand and touching it again. He said, I want to taste it, adding, what if I were about to pull into your driveway right now? And she said, I wish you would, in her wetness with her fingers. And he listened to her breathing some more. And then he pulled in and he got out, walking 20 steps to the door. In he went and found her on the stairs, her legs spread, her hand below, and pressed his mouth to hers and said, Finally. She told him to feel how wet and grabbed his wrist and directed it down inside her pants and he slipped his hand beneath. His palm met her bush. She let it grow, he loved that. And below that he found her puddle and he pushed gently, nudging her lips and then slipped between them, drawing out the wetness. And then as she always did, she licked his fingers clean. She loved the taste too. They'd been hungering for so long for this and neither of them could wait. He yanked her pants all the way down and off. He lifted her top over her head. Her whole body was bare on the stairs in plain view of anyone who might come to the front door. Neither one cared. She ripped his pants open and yanked them down his legs and off. And up over his head went his t-shirt. She gripped his Goldilocks cock. She called it that because it was just right. She loved his balls beyond which were as full as full could be, he not having come in days, holding off like he was prepping for a match. Turns out he was. Her scent filled the air, the sweetness under her arms mixing with that which he loved between her legs. Down he went with his face instantly wet from chin to nose as he dragged his lower lip up, brushing her lips from bottom to top, pulling up on her pubic mound, and then again and again. And she could never stay still. She pushed back, demanding more pressure from his mouth, and pushed harder, the pressure of which he knew would bruise around his lips, turning purple as it did, and he didn't care, so long as she enjoyed it, and she did. She raised her body up and forward and fucked his face, and they found a rhythm that worked them up and up until her face and neck were flushed, and she found her giggle that turned to her scream that returned to laughter as she came and they celebrated with a kiss that turned into a hardcore necking session that felt like they were fucking with their tongues as usual. And then she said taste, meaning she needed his cock inside her mouth. So she stood, straddling her body on the stairs. And a part of her wanted someone to come to the front door to witness what they were doing. And she wanted to be watched as she took him between her lips and sucked as his throbbing intensified. She knew she wouldn't make him come this way. She never did. But she didn't care because sucking his cock was for her first. She'd always loved giving head and woke up in the middle of the night quite often, having come in her dream with one hand on her clit and her mouth full of cum, but not so fast. For that act, she assumed her favorite position, 
on her back, spreading wide, holding her ankles, which was a balancing feat with her back on the stairs. While from above he entered, just the tip penetrating, then paused, then a good hard pump, and so began the game she loved. He'd leave different length pauses so she wouldn't know when, and then bang. And she knew his strength could dictate when and how hard, but still she gripped his ass as if she were doing the driving, and they laughed some more. And then they traded places. His ass on the stairs, her feet straddling him, his hands gripping each of her generous ass cheeks, spreading them like she liked, with his thumbs at the edge of her opening, and her noises were always very specific in this position. And it turned him on beyond, so much so he had to breathe through it so as not to come at the tightness and at the angle, and as much as those things, the feel of her ass and the sound of those moans. Flat-footed, she was bouncing up and down on his cock, her legs so strong she was deciding now on how fast and how much time to leave between her rises and falls hard down on a shaft. And since it had been so long since they had, while she loved when he came on her tits or her back or all over her, or better still, inside her pussy or her ass. This time she wanted it the other way. And so she told him, and it drove him wild when she did. And she bounced even harder up and down, and finally he said, okay, okay. And she lifted off and dropped her head down and wrapped her mouth around it as he came and came some more, screaming her name and unloading straight to the back of her throat, just like she liked. And she swallowed, and she laughed, and they hugged. And they both looked to the front door, and sure enough, there was a package on the front step. And they laughed, wondering how much of the show the Amazon guy had seen this time. Come on, let's go to the Blue Hotel. Please take me by to the Blue Hotel. The Blue Hotel Podcast, just about every Thursday at midnight Eastern. Follow, listen, enjoy, rate, review, share, repeat. Till next time, I'm Jeff Woods. to make the most out of this life and optimize your personal wellness then check out the natural man podcast join me host mike c as we explore all areas of human wellness physical mental and emotional learn strategies to optimize your own well-being and be in the driver's seat of your own health remember your doctor works for you learn biohacks neurohacks ways to improve sleep and ways to optimize your body and your mind. Check us out on Apple, Spotify, the Fountain app, and at naturalmanpodcast.com.